biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was you asked for in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel, and I'm joined by Jacob on the desk today with Tyler calling in after his trip from Seattle covering the International 2017. How you guys doing? Doing okay. A uh, little tired, a little little beat up. I've had a, a busy few weeks and uh, another busy week ahead. So uh, this will be this will be fun nonetheless. Tyler, what about you? Uh, feeling as as Jacob is pretty tired. I was at the international for half of it. Then I flew home, went to the Overwatch World Cup right right when I landed. So I've been pretty much go 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 for the past two weeks. And then we have uh, LCS playoffs this weekend. So. Uh, no, no stop, no busy, stopping sports. Tyler got quoted today in a uh, Washington nice. Wizards, Capitals, and Mystics press release about huh. uh, Team Liquid having the most profitable day in esports of all time. Uh, that story was linked out in the press release. I opened up my email this morning at like huh. seven and was just like, I read, hey, the, I read Tyler. it, I read it, and I saw it, like they were like, yeah, our Team Liquid had the most profitable day in esports, and I like, I saw it hyperlinked. I was like, I'm betting myself right now. I opened this, and it's a Tower story. And what do you know? I opened it, and it was a Tower story. Yeah, oh. for those of you who haven't read it, it's a great piece. It's on ESPN.com/esports. Um, Tyler, do you want to give everyone a little overview on that piece? Uh, on Saturday, Team Liquid pretty much either saved millions of dollars or won millions of dollars. They won the Dota 2 World Championship, which is around $11 million in prize money. And then they uh, you know, st- uh, saved off a uh, relegation in the LCS promotion tournament, saving themselves $3 million in their application for franchising next year. So Plus, uh, uh, plus sponsorship, because if you, if you get relegated yeah. from the LCS, you lose millions of dollars in sponsorship. So. Yep. Yeah. Very true. Getting back into things, um, Tyler, how was the crowd like in Seattle for the finals, and how would you wrap up TI7 really quick? Uh, well, I wasn't in, in at TI for the finals. I was in at the Overwatch World Cup watching the international finals oh. and the press area. But the crowd in general for the international, I, I compare it a lot to a music festival. It's very much you go in, have fun, go out, you know, hang out with your friends. It's very like a very musical, like festival vibe. You go in for the games you want to watch. You go to watch the you know the bands or teams you want to perform, and then you go outside, hang out, you know, grab some drinks, hang out on the lawn for you know the games that you don't really care that much about. So it's very like very chill, calm vibe with you know it's, it was a fun event. That seems like a West Coast thing, doesn't it, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, we did it last year. It was pretty fun. Um, it was enjoyable. I, like, went up with the Rosh up to the, like, VR tent, and that was pretty fun. We had some fun with that. Um, I wanted to, they were supposed to record our video, and they never did it. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> Jacob's but, still salty. You yeah, later. I mean, we, we were supposed to we were supposed to have a lot of fun with, like, content of, like, Arash and I, like, trying to spectate Dota 2 in VR and how messy it was, and I was supposed to write something on that, but whatever, so. Um, Just like everything else Valve does, a little messy. Ah. Mm. Uh. Nice. Well, let's dive into the topic of the day, which, drum roll, the NCAA diving into esports, question mark. Um, So the NCAA basically announced recently that their board of governors are planning to talk about esports at its scheduled meeting in October after a preliminary conversation last week. Um, Basically, university administrators are curious about esports and what the role of the NCAA could possibly play. Um... Interesting, interestingly enough, Michael Brooks, the executive director 
of the National Association of Collegiate Esports, which is like kind of the governing body for more than 20 of the schools that offer esports scholarships, uh, he gave us an exclusive quote and said, the majority of varsity programs have been built intentionally to stay separate of the NCAA's oversight, mostly due to the restrictions of operating under the NCAA's bylaws. Um, unless there are some pretty dramatic exceptions being considered for esports, the NCAA would be unlikely to be able to be absorbed under its banner, uh, which is kind of low-key shade slash like scathing this for basically saying NCAA, basically watch where you're going and watch where, watch, basically um, it's unlikely for them to jump in. Yeah, so uh, there's been a lot of confusion on exactly what the NCAA is and how they pertain to sports. I think a lot of people, at least on my Twitter timeline, uh, some very notable people took this as, oh, wow, we're going to get, you know, it's going to be so official and esports is going to be so legitimized in the collegiate space, whereas everyone that knows collegiate esports or knows collegiate sports are going, oh, hell no. Yeah, do you think these people have knowledge of college, I mean, college sports in general? Like, do they know what has happened? No, I think it's I think it's very I don't think you know a lot about the NCAA's transgressions until you really get into the mud of collegiate sports. Um I think that if you have never paid attention to collegiate sports and all the not so great things that the NCAA has done, you're probably looking at this and going, "Wow, this is a big governing body. They govern all these other schools in football and basketball and every other sport." And yeah, let's let's take them into esports and like make this a thing. But that that is not my perspective on it and it certainly should not be the perspective of others. Right, Tyler, what are your thoughts of the NCAA possibly coming into esports and centralizing the governing bodies? Stay away. Uh, it's terrible. As someone who watches a lot of college sports, I think it's a terrible idea, especially when esports, like the prime age for an esports player is like 16 to like early 20s, which kind of makes no sense when it comes to college esports. I mean, it, we, I mean, we have players, like the top players right now in esports are people who dropped out of high school. So it's not, I don't see, all the W uh, and uh, NCAA sees right now is money, and they really like money, and we've seen that in college football, college basketball, and with esports growing, they obviously see dollar signs, and I, I just think it's going to be a train wreck if they truly try to get into it, and it will not be great for the players currently getting scholarships. Right, and for people who are more familiar with esports and less familiar with uh, college sports, uh, for context, the NCAA has a long history of basically profiting off player images without compensating them. They made almost a billion dollars in revenue last year with more than $700 million coming from TV. Uh, how much did the players make? They made $0. They are profiting off them like they're work mules, essentially. They are essentially indentured servants of the NCAA. And they often throw their nose into the ring uh, around what's like amateurism. So, like, essentially yes. you have to you have to play for no money. Uh, it has to be basically amateur sports. You cannot be paid to, uh, eh, cannot be paid to play professionally. Um, when allegations of these things come up, and I think probably one of the most publicized was there were allegations that Cam Newton was being paid during his time at Auburn. Uh, the NCAA likes to stick their nose into things and really get into the grind. And a really good example of that that's very recent within the last month uh, is Donald De La Hay, I believe I'm saying that right, um, who is a University of Central Florida uh player who essentially made a career on YouTube and got over 100 or got over 91,000 subscribers on YouTube and he was monetizing his content. It had nothing to do with his uh, athletic career. It was essentially just like his personal channel. 
Um, and he was forced to choose either you give up your YouTube channel and all the monetization, or you so you can play football, or you play or you give up football and you be a YouTube star. And he ultimately chose the YouTube star of it, but the, the NCAA ruled him ineligible. So um, there is a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of things that come with this, and there's a lot of things that currently exist in collegiate esports that would not be allowed under NCAA bylaws. Could you imagine the NCAA and uh, coming and trying to regulate like these players' streaming careers in the future? They they would too. Uh, and one of the other things that a lot of people don't think about that I was doing some work around collegiate esports earlier in the year, and I discovered this. So the way that the scholarships for Heroes of the Dorm and for you all work in League of Legends and Heroes of the Storm, respectively, is that the scholarships are paid to the players by Blizzard and Riot. Uh, that would not be allowed under NCAA rules because scholarships are only be allowed to be given by schools. So it would have to be their school directly. It could not be a third party. So you all and Heroes of the Dorm, as we currently know them, would have to be redone if this was governed by the NCAA. Um, Tyler, I wanted to ask you, surprisingly, there was a lot of positive feedback about the NCAA coming into esports, and I think that a lot of it stems from misinformation, but what would you say to the people who think of the NCAA conglomerating or basically centralizing all these governing bodies that seem very separate and very Wild West-like right now in collegiate esports? I think a lot of people in esports still have this, you know, inferiority complex, right? Everyone wants to be seen as, like, a real sport, right? Like, a lot of people are, like, still, like, oh, yeah, they call us nerds. It's not, uh, I want to feel like we're a part of, you know, the mainstream. And I think they see this deal and they're like, oh, man, this means that we're going to be legitimized. Like, everyone's going to think we're, the, like, so, so serious and so cool. And it, And they don't realize that we're already past that. I mean, Look at all these owners who are throwing millions and millions and millions of dollars into esports and all these sponsors that are coming into the space right now. We should be focusing on franchising and, and, and all the stuff that's going like right now with Overwatch League and the NALCS and, and in China with the LPL. Those, those are the things we should be focusing on because those are the things that are actually going to grow and help esports be a thing in the mainstream for the next decade or two. So uh, the whole college thing is. It's, it's what it's what I said um, previously. They they see money signs and they want to cash in on it. And people are going to be bamboozled when they come in, and it's not going to be you know pretty. I think you made a really good point about esports kind of already having a lot of the legitimacy that it's, it's seeking as a scene. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that esports has kind of carved its own path up to date. I think that while investment from people like the Crafts and the Cronkies and all these other people that we'll see involved in the NALCS franchising in the next few months, uh, while that investment is great and a lot of those people are very good people, I like seeing when those people admit that they don't know what they're talking about and let esports people handle it. A uh, great example of this is the 76ers. Um, they basically have just kind of stepped aside, and, and that's to the fault Dignitas has not done as well. But to kind of go back to my point, like I think I think them admitting that they don't understand our space entirely and but putting their trust and money into people that do is a better action than rather just, you know, coming in and throwing your money at it or seeking money like at the NCAA. We don't need that legitimacy. We have it. For sure. Um, more ESPN esports in a moment. But first, we'd like to hear from you, whether you're new to the podcast or have been listening for some time we like to know how we're doing. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. 
And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. And you can always tweet us your thoughts at ESPN underscore esports, at Rachel Yonggu, at Jacob and Wolf, at Beyond on Fire. And we're back with the ESPN esports podcast. Let's talk more about the NCAA, which is where we left off last time. Um, for some more context, where is the money going? So they made a ton of money during March Madness. Uh, for reference, 39 coaches from the 2015 tournament made almost $1 million each per season with the lowest salary being $161,000. Again, the players made $0 total. Um, Lurpus had a really good quote online. He actually just posted this now. Some of the world's best players in esports are young, and an NCAA-like entity would cut off some of their arguably more limited earning potential. Uh, as we all know, your career in esports is very is very short, to say the least, so you don't have a lot of time to make money fast, and collegiate esports is a really fast way of basically killing your career. I think that what places like the NACE and others in our space are doing is good. I don't necessarily think it will always work. I don't know if some of these other schools that have esports want to participate in those leagues. Um, and as more Division One schools come in, I do think that they'll look to do something on their own. Um, we've already seen a few try. Uh, Pac-12 unsuccessfully tried to organize their own thing. Uh, and the NCAA rules were a part of the reason they that fell through. Um, but uh, you know, overall, I, I agree with that sentiment, and I think that it's very important that we do have some regulation so we can prevent things like match fixing, which I'm sure will happen sooner than later in collegiate esports. Um, but also, like, let the players earn the money off streaming revenue and let them get the scholarships from the developers. I think that's fine. All right, so let me ask you guys this, and Tyler, feel free to jump in. Um, so right now, the state of collegiate esports and scholarships in general. There's a bunch of different bodies. There's NACE, there's Star League, there's TESPA, et cetera. Do you, if not the NCAA, do you guys see in the future a centralized governing body that can sort of like really organize these structures into one umbrella? I don't think we really need that. I, I, I actually like how it's currently going in esports, like League of Legends and Sierra of the Dorm and all that. It's, Right now, I think we're in a perfect balance. Obviously, I'd like to see more schools give out scholarships and they grow into bigger and bigger schools. But while obviously that will have some backlash, as we've seen at the Pac-12 and all that, I think right now we're in a good place. And I just think that we need – I think right now we're, we just need to see how esports grows. I think investing and throwing all this crazy stuff into it right now is only you know, setting, up a, setting up for disaster for these players. And I also think the role of collegiate esports doesn't serve the same role as college sports. What do you um, mean by that? In the sense that college sports is your means to get to the professional level. So if you're a player in high school that's declaring to go to college because of things like one-and-done rules and, and et cetera, uh, you're doing that because you want to be in the NBA or the NFL or the MLB in the future, right? And you can't be immediately drafted into those leagues. That's not the case in collegiate esports. Collegiate esports is usually the means for someone who is not good enough to play in the LCS or not good enough to play at that level. And very few players have crossed over from being collegiate to being professional. There's a few in the LCS, Adrian, Zig. Yeah, there's, but they're like the exceptions. Yeah, they're the exceptions. They're not the amount of people that go, go to school and play on a college level and then go to a professional level. So collegiate sports serves a very different purpose than collegiate esports. And I don't think that collegiate esports are necessary. Uh, always necessary when it comes to building your career as a player. 
All right, I, I get that. Yeah, it's like more recreational. Like, it's yeah, not- I mean, if you're not, if you're like high diamond or low master slash challenger, and you're not good enough to be on an LCS team, but you want to go to school, you're at that age, and you can get a scholarship for it. Cool, it's great. It has right. its place, but it's not. You're not going to college in hopes to get on a professional team. You'd rather just play in challenger or on an academy team next year. So that's a good point. I never thought about it that way. Now that I actually think about it more, a lot of these actual basketball and football athletes, they basically devote their entire life in college to their sport. Yeah. And education. It's a a training ground. It's a training ground to be a professional player unless you're like there are people on college sports teams. Like if you look at the amount of people that play collegiate sports uh, versus the amount of people that actually go to the NFL versus the amount of people that go to the NFL and actually succeed and have long careers, those numbers are like they're very tiny percentages. Right. But. Um, it's still like every, everyone that plays college sports that it's like a training ground. It's either a thing you do during college to better your college experience, or it's, you're doing it to train yourself for a higher level of play. You're not doing that in collegiate esports. True. Um, Tyler, do you have any thoughts on this? I agree wholeheartedly with Jacob. I think that right now, a lot of the play. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, I think the NCAA thinks that hey, we're gonna get into esports, and you know, these top players that you see on the LCS are you know gonna gonna go to college, and we're gonna have be a training ground for the for the top players. But it's like, it's like I said before, the prime age for an esports star is seven, like sixteen, seventeen to what, twenty one, twenty two. That's your entire college career, right? And you see that right now in college basketball, where the top players. They wouldn't even be going to college if they didn't have to. Because of the one the one and done rule in college basketball, you have to at least stay one year in college before you can go to the NBA. So currently right now the college basketball scene is literally guys signing up the team for one year and then just bouncing out. I mean the number one draft pick uh, two years ago, Ben Simmons, he went to L S U and he essentially didn't go to class. Like from all reports, he pretty much just was like he didn't want to be there. He hated the experience. And he immediately and he left after the the March tournament was over too. He just didn't go to school anymore. He dropped out. So yeah, essentially he was like he was like, oh hey, uh, I'm I'm done here. Uh, you can actually let me go play basketball now, which is why I this is what I want to do. I'm from Australia. I didn't want to come to your silly school anyway. Let me go play. I don't want that in esports. You know, it's not going to work in esports because you see players drop out of high school in esports. They, they don't want to go to a year or two in college just so they can play in the LCS. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's true. Uh, Kyrie, are you a sports fan? Esports fan? I am actually. Maybe not so much as esports, but definitely a sports fan. All right. So let me get a sports fan's thoughts on the NCAA. Sure. I uh, I'm in agreement with the fact that uh, it's just unfortunate that these schools are making so much money off of the players. Uh, especially, you know, with no type of uh, incentive for them. But, of course, the, the, the education, which is golden. But I do think there's some changes that need to be made. Yeah, I I wanted to go back into the topic of amateurism, which is a, uh, a term that Jacob brought up earlier. Um, it's a concept honestly made to basically... What it boils down to is the idea that education is a privilege and not a right. And I think that's really problematic at the heart of it because one of the ripple effects it has is it's a concept basically made to reject poor athletes from succeeding. 
or or in the worst case use them use their talent to you know get them into college right like if you're if you're a student athlete who doesn't have the means to go to college on your own taking a scholarship is the only way you're going to do it yeah. and so uh yeah like it's back it's back to this whole balance and some of those people are exceptional athletes uh that don't have the means and to go on their own so they do take it and then they do go on to professional careers that make sense but that's that's the minority of those folks that's a very little bit of those folks that actually do succeed and go on to the professional level it's very uh there's very a little little small amount in comparison to the overall people that are manipulated yeah and i think a really important thing to note here is that it's a very antiquated way of thinking. Like, a lot of schools reject this way of thinking nowadays, but the NCAA clings on to it so strongly, and I think a lot of it stems from the fact that they reap a lot of benefits from it, from remaining tax-free, with schools not liable for compensation and long-term health care for players. Um, yeah, they're basically on their... This is the crux of the argument for them to remain to not pay their players, which is, like, kind of baffling if you think about it. Yeah, it it's a bigger discussion around just like education and, and funds for education. But I have several friends that went on athletic scholarship, and that was the one way they were going to get to go to a big school versus community college. And um, I've had some that have succeeded and gone in the NFL, uh, like my friend Alec Ogletree, who's uh, played at Georgia and is now a linebacker for the St. Louis Rams or Los Angeles Rams. Sorry. Um, but I've also seen a lot of other friends who they just go to college and they get the education and uh, they put in the worst case when it comes to football, they put their lives on the line because head bumps are pretty nasty when it comes to what shows up later on in your life. Um, but at at best, they they move on to the professional professional level. But I feel like I'm ranting. So <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine. I feel like whenever we discuss the NCAA, it always involves a little bit of ranting and like irritation. Yeah, uh, and I think. I think there is this really large misconception in esports of what the NCAA is because it's not it's not all sunshines and flowers. It's very much uh, a dark sphere of argument and has been for the last twenty to thirty years. Yeah. So, so back on the topic of esports, like Tyler, I think you made an interesting point when you said esports doesn't really require that heavy infrastructure to succeed. Like a lot of grassroots communities are still like look at Smash for instance. They're still very grassrootsy. Um, why don't you expand on that a little? Uh, just just look at this weekend, for example. Uh, Tyler One, a very popular League of Legends streamer who's banned from League of Legends, ironically, had uh, he hosted a tournament, the Tyler One Invitational, where he pretty much did the he did the casting, the interviewing, the producing, and it it, gained, it had like thirty five thousand people live watching, and the vod of it already has I think over five hundred thousand viewers it was number one reddit and i just love watching these things where it's like it's true grassroots right you have you just have one guy saying hey i have some money let's just have some teams play for it casting it and and that's what esports is to me it's still i mean we have the big buildings and the big franchises and the money coming in but i still like that you could have these situations where you know a streamer is just like hey i really want to put on a tournament and have some fun and you have players who can sign up and play it if, if the NCAA came into it a lot of those players who are like not good enough to be in the pro level but aren't you know are still good enough to play at a competitive level they probably wouldn't be able to play in those type of tournaments because there's a there's a monetary prize and if they're if one of them's at you know a school and they're getting a scholarship they can't play in that tournament because you you, you get money 
So I, I really do enjoy that, you know, players who aren't pro level can still make a pretty okay living sometimes somewhat through, you know, streaming and, you know, these fan-run tournaments where all you need to do is, you know, one weekend with your friends playing a tournament. And that's something that the NCAA would destroy entirely. Right. Uh, and I, I think some of my favorite events are actually very grassrootsy slash quote-unquote unorganized. Um, the Big House Six is, like, one of them. Uh and how would how would the NCAA like even touch uh like what would they touch what would they try to take because I mean like the things that currently exist in their ecosystem at the highest level are, are Heroes of the Storm and and League of Legends. I there's feel like... there's not a lot of crossover in Counter Strike. Nobody wants to do Counter Strike Collegiate because guns and all the other controversial parts of that right. game. I guess Overwatch would maybe be something. But one thing I uh, I didn't say that I wanted to note earlier is that the developers would have to clear this. And I don't... If you're Riot, if you're Blizzard, if you're Valve, I don't necessarily see them saying yes to the NCAA. Yes, you can use our IP for these means. Cause like, but I also don't see them saying no either. I could, I could see them saying no. I think... Uh, I'm game not sure de- about that. Game development is... Uh, Game development tends to skew on the progressive side of things where it's very frowned upon what the NCAA does. So I could actually see them saying no. Um, I, but, like, they could just ignore it. I don't think they, like, you have to have the IP rights or they could just sue you. Right. Um, We're also just speculating wildly. But I just, like, I just, I couldn't, I, I just can't see a world where they would say yes. I could, I could honestly see it happening. Like, I, at the end of the day, it's all a business. And that's the unfortunate reality of, I mean, the NCAA still exists today because it's but a business you, model. But are you getting, it's hard to compare because no one, none of the sports in the NCAA are IPs, right? Like the guy that created football doesn't own an IP for football. Uh, the guy that created basketball doesn't <laughs> oh, own an so IP ridiculous. for basketball, right? Yeah. Uh, these games are different. And it, if you're Riot, if you're Blizzard and you're already profiting off two leagues that you're about to launch at the end of this year... Uh, or you know, restructure at the end of this year to be more permanent. Do you really care, like outside of what you're already doing? Because what you're already doing works. Like what you're already doing in Heroes of the Storm and League of Legends already works. So like, do you really want to give it over to someone else and let someone else handle it for you on that on that sort of a level? Eh, probably not. Well, yes, I think. Well, I think what it boils down to a lot is, are they willing to educate themselves on the issue? Because we've seen a lot of. People in the scene who've been kind of happy to see them potentially entering the scene. So hopefully they educate themselves and understand that it's not all rainbows and butterflies for them. Um, Tyler, what are your thoughts on, do you think Riot, Blizzard, Blizzard, and Valve are willing to take that jump? I think Riot is very in-house. I think they like doing what they like to do in-house. So I think Riot would listen, see what the NCAA are offering, and probably decline. I think Blizzard might do. I think Blizzard would be more inclined to get into bed with NCAA just because I feel like they're they're going a lot more towards the traditional sports route of having, you know, geolocation, having all that. I think they wouldn't mind, especially with, like, Heroes of the Storm, where their esports scene is so small in comparison to the other ones. I think it might actually – that might be the only eSport right now, I think, where it might work because it has the tradition of Heroes of the Dorm, and it's a small enough eSport where I don't think sorry, having NCAA in it would disrupt much. I think Valve would literally see the email, shrug their shoulders, and just ignore it. I think they would just ignore it like everything else and just walk away and be like, eh, we're making a lot of money. Just, eh, 
we don't, we're not even going to respond to you guys. And I think that's how it would work out. They probably have, like, a filter on their email where it automatically goes to junk mail. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who emails not- us about esports at Valve. <laughs> We're not salty. It's just the truth. <laughs> it's just the truth. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap things up. That's our podcast for today. Thank you, Jacob and Tyler, for joining me. For more esports features and content, be sure to check out ESPN.com slash esports. Or you can follow us on Twitter. At Rachel Yonggu, at Jacob and Wolf, and at Feeling on Fire. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.